Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Collins singing there. I was trying to remember which of my friends had requested this song for their birthday, but honestly, I'm so backed up with birthday bumper music requests that uh, I uh, I have lost track. So my apologies to whether it was uh, Peter Spencer or Nick Iacono or um, Lance Rhea. I think it was Lance Rhea because it, today is his actual birthday. But what do you do when it comes to commemorating birthdays if you have nine children, right? My mother-in-law was in that same position. My wife is one of nine, and uh, they range in age, right? Uh, so I think there's a maybe a 16-year disparity, maybe a 15-year disparity from the oldest to youngest. So what she would do is she would get everybody on their birthday, she would make them their favorite dinner. They got to choose the, the food. So if you wanted breakfast for dinner... You could have it. If you wanted uh, pizza, you'd have pizza. You know, whatever the case may be, which I thought was very clever. But that is one of the many logistical hurdles that can be involved in having a family that includes nine children. What we're seeing now is a couple of things, both in the United States and abroad, countries like Japan and Europe. They are, Well, Europe, I realize, is a continent, not a country, believe me. They are dealing with a problem of the population not replacing itself. Some people don't say it's a problem. We'll get into that. But there's also been a movement that has grown as a backlash to that, as a reaction to that. It is called pronatalism. And it's a movement that believes humans must maximize reproduction in order to stave off economic 
and cultural decline. One couple that is uh, at the vanguard of the pronatalism movement are the Collinses. Malcolm Collins is kind enough to get up early with us. He is the author of The Pragmatist's Guide to Life, Relationships, Sexuality, Governance. He also wears a lot of other hats. He happens to be the founder of pronatalist.org. Malcolm, thanks so much for getting up early with us. Hello. It is so wonderful to be here. And just for clarification for your listeners, those are all different books. The one that deals with this topic is The Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion. And, you know, I, I would stress, because I think when a lot of people hear about declining birth rates, they're like, oh, this is just a developed country thing. But actually, um, you know, as of a few years ago, all of Central America, South America, and the Caribbean combined fell below repopulation rate. It Really, the only countries that are still above repopulation rate are the, the most desperately poor countries in the world. Um, and, and they're mostly isolated to, like, a handful of countries in Africa and Oceania. Um, and to stress also, the, the, what our movement is striving for is not to maximize the world's population. You know, we don't want humanity to grow forever. However, we, we, and we also don't even think that it's possible to prevent the current population crash that's about to happen. But we are trying to make people aware of it so that we can begin to build solutions to it because um, it happens a lot faster than you think. You know, I used to work in Korea and right now at the current Korean fertility rate, 0.8, that means for every 100 Koreans, there will be 6.6 great grandkids. So we're looking at like a 96% population wow. crash within That's, the next wait, century. Just repeat that number again. For every 100 South Koreans, there's going to be 6.6 grandchildren or great-grandchildren? Great-grandchildren. Wow, that is extraordinary. I mean, that is, yeah. that's wild. All right, so... Um, well, well, it depends. I mean, if the fertility numbers uh, go to 0. 0.7, which they're expected to this year, it'll be 4.3. I mean, these numbers keep declining, and this is what a lot of people don't think. They see the fertility numbers declining, and they think that there's some level at which they level off, at which they stop declining. And we haven't seen a single country hit that point yet. And Korea... Uh, was um, in the 90s where we are today in America. That's extraordinary. Now, a couple of things here. We're talking with Malcolm Collins, author of the Pragmatist's Guide series and the founder of uh, pronatalist.org. So um, you mentioned South Korea. I mentioned Japan and the United States. Where else in terms of countries around the world is this problem particularly pronounced? Where is the problem of the population not replacing itself the worst? So it's interesting. I think it's really um, probably not fair to think of it in terms of countries, but I would think of it in terms of populations, because if you look at it at a country, like at the same way if you look at it at a global level, it hides the problem. Where it's the worst is cosmopolitan cities in developed countries. Um, basically, cities are almost sterilizing to people. So, you know, what, if you're in Canada, you know, that would be Ontario or Toronto and, or the U.S. It's New York, San Francisco and London. You know, wherever you go, if you're in a major developed city, you will have almost no kids. And this is a well, it, 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 I mean, I'm I'm conservative leaning myself. So this is on the, on the positive side for me in the long term. But um, a lot of studies show that the way a person votes is about 60 percent heritable. If you systemically delete 
all of the population that is, uh, you know, amenable to moving to cities, which is usually progressive leaning, then you're going to have major political shifts that we can even calculate right now by looking at the heritability of things and then looking at birth rates um, in in voting patterns worldwide. That, well, that's really interesting. So, in theory, a, a city like uh, like San Francisco or uh, or Los Angeles, a city that has a, a history of uh, very liberal democratic voting patterns. Because of the manner in which the population is playing out, they could actually be, I don't know, unreproducing themselves out of political dominance? Yeah, exactly. But it's, it's, I mean, for a while, cities have not reproduced themselves. They basically draw anyone with like a progressive mindset from the rural uh, uh, families that are still reproductively healthy. So um, it's it's like a filtering event that's happening all around the world because cities just aren't set up in a way right now where it's really financially possible to have large families. And I think this is something that people forget. If you're looking at any population, you know, um, like consider your friend group, I would say to your listeners, if a third of that friend group has no kids and a third of that friend group has two kids, then for them to just stay stable the final third of that friend group has to have over four kids. And you just see very few people having over four kids, especially in in cities. Hmm. Um, uh, Why is this, explain to folks why this is problematic for cultures, for countries, for cities, for societies. A lot of of people, as I'm sure you're aware, in uh, certain think tanks, they say, hey, look, this is not the worst thing in the world. The fact that there are fewer children being born now, that means there are going to be resources like schools and classrooms and an infrastructure that was set up for a larger child um, population that will now be able to cater to fewer students. Instead of uh, having 45 children in a first grade, class, you're going to have 20 children in there and maybe some children will be able to get some extra individual help. I'm sure you've heard that argument way more than exactly. I have. What do so, you say to that? Uh, that is unfortunately not what happens when populations shrink. So when populations shrink, tax bases shrink. And we unfortunately have set up basically the entire developed world's economy as a pyramid scheme. Um, we have heavily leveraged every leverage means take out debt against every level of the economy from our cities to our states, to our nations, to our individual companies. And taking out debt is great when something is growing, but it is horrible when something is shrinking to understand why. Imagine you're making an investment of $10, $5 of that is debt. $5 of that is equity. If it grows, if it grows to 15, then you've doubled your equity investment. But if it shrinks, if it shrinks to five, you've literally lost your entire equity investment. Um, And cities, if you look at Detroit's a good example of what happens when a tax base starts to shrink and when a population starts to shrink. Detroit, over a period of, I think, about 30 years, lost around 40 percent of its population. Um, And when that happens, what you do not see is like huge houses, you know, where people can live and nice things everything starts to collapse. You see urban blight as far as you can see. You see classrooms with roofs caved in. You see drinking water that no one can use because um, it, when, when something is declining on average and everybody knows it's declining on average, like if you buy a house and you know for a fact that this house will be worth less in the future, it doesn't lose like 20% of its value. It loses almost all its value. And that's why in Detroit you saw houses selling for like $1. 
When that happens, there's no incentive to maintain the infrastructure. Um, and I, I think, you know, homeowners are aware of this, but I think many people who have never owned a home don't know how much money goes into just keeping infrastructure at like a base level looking presentable and basically working. Um, so, no, what we would likely see is basically urban blight as far as you can see, similar to like blight porn pictures you can look up about Detroit. <laughs> okay. Um, by the way, just so folks understand where you're coming from, we're talking with Malcolm Collins. He's the executive director of the Pragmatist Foundation, among many other claims to fame. You, uh, What's your family situation like? What have you and your wife done in terms of child uh, bearing and child rearing? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that uh, modern problems require modern solutions. Um, my wife would be technically infertile, but we were able to, you know, through medical technology, freeze a number of embryos. And we've been having a kid every year and a half. Um, we're at three right now, and we don't plan to stop until it's medically we're forced to. Now, there are going to be some folks, uh, I was promoting your appearance with friends of mine and family members, and uh, I was talking about the sort of the pronatalist movement. People can learn more about yeah. it at pronatalist.org. And there's folks that say, well, look, you just really can't afford to have a lot of children nowadays. It takes so much, not only a lot of time, but it takes a lot of money. And I, I have a, a one-year-old, and I could certainly empathize. It's, all of my money is, uh, as soon as my paycheck comes, it's out the door for a lot of child care expenses. What do you say to the people that say, all right, maybe it's a, it's a nice thought and maybe dem demographically it makes sense, but parents these days just can't afford to have as many children as parents of years past. What do you say to that, Malcolm? Well, I mean, here's the paradox of this situation. It's very expensive for rich people to have kids, um, but it is not expensive for, for <laughs> most people to have kids. If you look at fertility rates within and between countries, so like within a country or between countries – Actually, poorer people have more kids on average, and it scales very linearly until you get to the highest levels of wealth. You do start to see birth rates go up again at the highest levels of wealth. But if you talk about a developed country like the United States, um, you don't get above for repopulation rate again until a family is making 500000 to a $1 million a year. So it, it's sort of this paradox where people say they can't afford kids, and yet the less money they have, the more kids they seem to be able to afford – and what's really interesting is that if you look historically, I mean, uh, you know, I think that we we look at like this 1950s period, which is really an unrealistic economic situation where we were just like draining the rest of the world's resources to, to prop up an unstable mm -hmm. economy. But if you look before that, 1800s, 1700s, people were having tons more kids in much, 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 much worse conditions. Um, I, I think the, the idea of a Affording kids? I mean, consider your wife's parents, right? I would almost be certain that they were in worse economic conditions when they were raising those nine kids than you are today. Uh, 100%. 100%. But one of the things that I could tell you from my wife and at least some of my siblings-in-law is that they do feel like maybe they were a bit, uh, I don't want to use the term deprived, but they did have a, a very tough time because their family had to uh, do with a lot less materially than a lot of their peers had to uh, had to do. Yeah. Yeah, uh, oh, absolutely. And I, and I think that this is this is, uh, you know, one of the reasons um, where, uh, you know, our society is declining, because historically there was this mindset where, like, we believed as a society that a human being, that one of our kids 
would prefer to exist under trying circumstances than not exist. <laughs> and I think today that mindset has shifted due You're to the right. increase in negative utilitarianism in sort of the global mindset, which is now, um, you know, people sort of subconsciously believe that it's better not to exist than it is to exist without existing in luxury. The um, One of the places that we see people encouraging culturally a great deal of procreation tends to be in a lot of religious communities. For instance, there are there are some Muslim uh, countries that are that are still producing exponential amounts of children. And I've heard the same can be said of Mormons, even in places in the United States, places like Utah. Is that accurate? Are the Mormons and the Muslims doing their part to prop up the population? Uh, So I'll, I'll read a quote to you right here. Between the 1980s and the 2010s, Iranian women reduced the rate at which they had children from 6.5 to 2.5, faster than the pace of the one-child policy in China. Uh, And that's from an academic study. Um, And Mormons, uh, now this is harder to pierce out, but uh, we did some digging into the data, and it looks like they might be below repopulation rate right now, or they will be within the next five years. Um, There are some religious communities that have been able to keep their birth rates up, like the Amish, uh, but they're kind of like air-gapped from society, uh, if if people are familiar with that analogy. Um, So, no, well, okay, so it's a complicated question. Religious communities do have more kids compared to secular communities. However, it is not a panacea, and it doesn't appear to fully protect them against Hmm. birth rate collapse. What we are really seeing is religious communities and religious extremism is just more common in poor countries um, and in countries with levels of extreme poverty, you know, sort of going back to what we were saying before, that's where you still have really high birth rates. Um, the problem, of course, being that I think our goal uh, as like a society is to ensure those countries no longer are in extreme and desperate poverty. <laughs> um, and, and so that's, that's not a positive thing. Now, uh, I mean, the reason we wrote The Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion is I do think re- – Something like religion is the solution to this whole problem. Uh, in the modern world, in a, in a prosperous country, you really aren't rewarded for having more than two kids. It used to be, you know, you had more kids, that was more hands on the farm, and the kids directly right. impacted sort of your economic condition. Um, today, you're not going to really get rewarded with happiness or social prestige for having over two kids. So the only reason to do it is if you have some sort of like exogenous motivator. And normally that is religion. That's the, the, the core exogenous motivator in today's society. Um, and so uh, that's why we wrote like the guide to crafting religion, because I think we need to think about what did we throw out uh, as a society as we secularized. And I think we're seeing this across the secular world right now, where we're realizing a lot of the things we threw out. You know, you look across religious communities, uh, you know, you, whether it's Ramadan or, or, or Lent or the Feast of the Firstborn, you know, Passover, uh, these like arbitrary fasting rituals. Like we threw all that out in like the 80s. And now today the secular world's all on like their fastings and their juice cleanses because they all realize, that, oh, yeah, it actually does like help mm-hmm. to fast occasionally and arbitrarily deny yourself stuff because it like strengthens the pathways, the, the inhibitory pathways in your prefrontal cortex. So, yeah. I could go deeper on this, sir. Malcolm, uh, uh, we are almost out of time, and you got to come back. Maybe we'll do a full hour because I have pages worth of questions that I want to ask you about. So um, let me ask you maybe the million-dollar question. 
Uh, why is this happening? Is this happening for uh, cultural reasons? Uh, you mentioned these cosmopolitan cities. One would think that uh, that's leading to uh, women putting off childbearing a little bit later in, in life and having fewer children, staying in the workforce longer. Uh, other people might point to things like the ease of uh, birth control and abortion. Other people might point to what's generally considered positive things like a decrease in teenage pregnancy and uh, underage sex of uh, that sort of a thing. But from your perspective, from your studies on this, why are we seeing developed countries struggle with population? Well, because, I mean, I think we need to think about what it means to be a developed country. What it means is that the number of kids you have does not increase your family's wealth. I mean, historically, that was true. The core reason you had a lot of kids was so you had more hands on the farm, right? Um, And I think that we as a society are unaware of how recently this shift happened. You know, that only really stopped being true a couple generations ago. And culturally, there was still a lot of inertia towards having a lot of kids being normalized. But um, that sort of became unnormalized over time as soon as people sort of intergenerationally began to realize, I don't really need to have a lot of kids to be happy and fulfilled. Right. Um, and it's, it's such an interesting way for our civilization to sort of start collapsing, uh, just sort of people realizing, oh, I guess I, I don't need – we used to fight over like land and territory – and, and, you know, today you look at something like the war in, in Russia and the Ukraine, both of which are countries that are desperately below repopulation rate. And they are fighting over land, which means nothing when their populations aren't <laughs> replenishing themselves. Right. Um, and and, and they're, they're killing off an entire generation. I mean, I think that this is how slowly it takes the world to realize that things have changed. Wow. You know, we now live in a world where the most valuable thing is a human being. And that, that's a good thing in a way. Le, uh, no doubt about it. Le, last question, Malcolm, and you, you've got to come back, and I'm encouraging everybody to check out your website, pronatalist.org. We've seen some attempts by government to address this. I think it was South Korea, which you alluded to earlier, which gave uh, the whole country the day off, essentially, uh, to and encouraged them to go out and uh, and have children. Uh, I think Japan has tried some similar things. My sister Claudia proposed, and she's not a you know a policymaker or anything, thank goodness. But she proposed a government-sanctioned happy hour once a year, where the government would pay for everyone's drinks one night a year to encourage them to couple up and uh, you know and do their thing. What do you think can be done, if anything, beyond people voluntarily doing this, either from an economical perspective or a a legislative one, to encourage people to repopulate? So it's funny. I I think uh, your your sister, I think you said, um, is, is pretty astute in what she suggested, because what a lot of people jump to at first is they say, oh, let's give handouts to people who have kids. Except this has been tried extensively. Actually, this last year, Hungary spent 5% of their GDP on this project, and they only got fertility rates up 1.6% by doing that. That's nothing when you consider that, like, China's fertility rate year over year declined over 13% last year. So, um, you know, handouts don't really seem to motivate this. Um, Some people say things like, well, abortion bans. Well, Hungary tried an abortion ban, um, and it helped for one generation, and the next generation fertility rates crashed. Mm -hmm. Because it created the stigma that having lots of kids with only four like poor people with low self control. 
So uh, no, was it Hungary who did the abortion ban? No, Romania did the abortion ban during the communist dictatorship of the 1980s or 70s. Anyway, um, so like we've tried a lot of things and government interventions just don't really work. The only interventions that seem to work are um, uh, cultural ones like uh, I think this was Armenia mm. – where the um, their version of like a pope, the the Orthodox uh, head of the patriarch, uh, what are they right. called? Patriarch. Patriarch said that I will be every child's godfather who's born within this time window, and then it, it gave the wow. birth rates actually went up pretty significantly. Um, so uh, you know there are cultural solutions to this, and and again that's why we wrote the Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion right. and, because and we're we'll, trying to disseminate these cultural solutions. And we'll encourage everybody to check out uh, pronatalist.org. Malcolm, fascinating conversation. Thank you. Good luck with all those kids. All right. Let's get book again. Thank you. 800-848-9222. If you go to the pronatalist building, there's a giant statue of Nick Cannon outside. It, that's, their, that's their patron saint, Nick Cannon. I'm actually... I'm, Sort of joking about that. All right. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.